All right, welcome to Automation Untangle. This is a podcast by Blueprint that is around the field of intelligent automation and robotic process automation. My name is Matt Agnew. I am with Blueprint Software Systems, and I am the Director of Product Marketing. And today I am joined by Mr. Jeremy Gilchrist. Jeremy, how are you? Very well, sir. How are you? Good, good. And, you know, I, I saw a stat the other day that I think there's 250 million podcasts in the world. So I thought, why not add another one to that, right? At, you know, it might as well. I, I don't know how we're going to compete with all those true crime ones. But uh, I do. I personally would, would listen to this. So I'm all for it. Well, I, you know, and I saw, you know, Jody Sweeten from uh, Full House has a podcast now. And if she can have one. I don't see why anybody can't. So, yeah, honestly, you know what? I think that's a good that's a good approach. That's and and you know, I was listening. I've, I spent a lot of time in the car, so I I did the podcast route for a while. I'm on an audio book books kick now, but you can honestly find a, a podcast about just about everything. Like there, there was one I ran into the other day called We Watch Wrestling, and it's just two guys talking about WWE wrestling, like or WWF wrestling. And then there was another one about just how to watch Jurassic Park. Like, if you're gonna like, these are the moments that you want. If you're into this, you watch this. It's like it was. It. I just. I love the specificity that this media provides, and uh, and it allows you to really find a community for for absolutely anyone, which I think is great. Well, I really hope we can be half as interesting on the on the how you can watch Jurassic Park. So I'll try. <laughs> well, I was. I don't know if if that's the case. You've got the wrong guy sitting across from you at this point, then. <laughs> Well, I know I have the right guy when it comes to intelligent automation and robotic process automation, which is what we want to talk about today. So like any other podcast, this is kind of a you know a heads up media. We do the video on, but feel free to listen while you're getting some work done. Uh, Jeremy has been working in the RPA field for a while. I'm going to let him introduce himself, talk about why he's here today, and then we're just going to get into a little bit of chat uh, to hopefully you know, just really go with the title of this, you know, untangle automation a bit and hopefully make it just, you know, 2% less complicated for our listeners out there. So Jeremy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? For sure. Um, so yeah, as you said, my name is Jeremy Gilchrist. I, uh, I've been in automation since early, early 2017. Um, I started in the bank, I started in the banking sector with, uh, with one of the, with one of, um, sort of the early entrance in the Canadian market, which was Blue Prism. And they were sort of all over the place right at the very get-go. And we, I was an analyst at Accenture when I first started in the project management office. And I, there was, I was pulled in to do this project with this weird new technology called RPA, which I thought was kind of funny because I, I had just come from a brewery. I used to work at a brewery not long before. And one of my favorite beers that I sold over at that brewery was called RPA, Rye Pale Ale. Um, they still make it today, which is kind of funny. So I have a few cans hidden in my back, uh, in, in the back of my fridge. So at some point we'll have to, uh, we'll have to untangle one of those, uh, later on. Um, but anyways, no, so I started there. I then got into the functional side of automation. I'm sort of one of the odd ones where I didn't come from a heavy, heavy technical background. My education was actually in, uh, environmental studies and business with a heavy focus on Canadian oil. Um, and I ended up in right as I was graduating and coming into the market, everything sort of changed, you know, the oil paradigm shifted, the money wasn't really there. So I came into a backup plan, which was going into project management at Accenture. Uh, and then the backup plan to the backup plan ended up being RPA. And, uh, I really, it made, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, I used to be one of the, my school, I was very fortunate to go to a high school that had a robotics program. So I competed and was one of the leads of our robotics team. I led the uh, the electronics and pneumatics division. Like so battle we were the bots ones... or like more practical? 
Uh, sort of like BattleBots. We we started with, you know, you start the kids in the lower years with Legos, and then you move them up to Vex, so like Metal, sort of like Meccano. I don't know if okay. you ever worked with that or know what that is. Um, and then these were fully me milled and machined and welded bots. So think of a BattleBot, but the ones we built were usually taller and weren't there to attack anyone else it was to no pick up soccer balls yeah no, no, no spinning blades i don't <laughs> think giving a 17 year old a key you know the keys to that is a good idea um so i knew i knew robotics i knew the i concept of what it's supposed to do and how robotics doesn't always get understood in the way it should um and very and i very much knew sort of the design build test deploy route that was sort of ingrained into me from a very young age so Robotics was a very clean and easy fit for me. Um, so I ended up moving out of the project management and into practice man practice management, practice leadership. And I ended up sort of outlasting a number of different leads um, in my role at Accenture until finally one day I got the call and the invitation to come over to Avanade, which is where I am now, to uh, lead their automation practice over there. I still work very closely with my friends at Accenture. We are a, uh, we are a subsidiary of Accenture. So we work hand in hand with them to help deliver solutions. But uh, Avanade is more focused on the Microsoft angle. So I spend a lot more time with my with my head in the Microsoft cloud uh, than anyone else's. And I'm trying to figure out how to help Microsoft sort of navigate these waters and enter this market in a uh, in a strong and aggressive a way as possible. Awesome, awesome. And you know, I know you gave us a little bit of an overview there of what Avanad does. And Avanad is one of those companies, it's a huge company that if you're in the business space, you heard of it. But if you're kind of, you know, walking down the street or not in that world, you might not know it exists. So what would be, you know, if I have to go explain to my wife later what Avanad does, what would be your <laughs> the the easiest way to pitch that? Oh, that's a tough one. Um I always, I always, when I worked at Accenture, described Accenture as the biggest company no one's ever heard of, and Avanade's just a smaller company that no one's ever heard of. So we are Accenture, we are a subsidiary of Accenture, and we are we're started out originally as a joint venture between Accenture and Microsoft. Um, we were formed out of the the desire and the need for much more of an in depth focus on the Microsoft platform to help companies start taking those steps in the early two thousands as you know, it wasn't even journey to cloud, it was journey to computer computerization. Um, so we we really sort of cut our teeth in that space. And then we've been on the forefront for on behind Accenture's behalf of a lot of new technical uh, innovations and one of them being automation. So when Accenture Canada started looking at automation more and more, Avanade was where a lot of the growth happened and a lot of the uh, the resources and the, and the brain power really originated was within Avanade. So we are very close to Accenture. In many cases, I can double, I try to double hat and I'll, I can introduce myself at times as working very closely with Accenture and sometimes as Accenture. Um, we work hand in hand on almost all of our opportunities, um, but we always try to keep our eye on the Microsoft angle and how we're going to grow that and, and work with that piece specifically. Great. And, you know, that world is, you know, the world of kind of service integrators and people that help. It's just the way I kind of think of it as your tech people that can help a company with just about anything, really, right? And then you kind of yeah. have different specialties, you know, you'll bring in the right guys there. But that's kind of the way to think about it. You're a company that needs help with something in the tech field, you know, and yeah. from Microsoft field, and you guys are a great fit. We are. And, you know, in especially in the automation space, because Microsoft is a relatively late entry into the into the automation area we 
learned to cut our teeth and sort of work with the other RPA vendors that are out in the markets, you know, UiPath, Blue Prism, Automation Anywhere. And we we figured out sort of how they work and how they grow and how to run these projects. So we're, we're uniquely positioned with our deep integrations with Microsoft and our long experience with other RPA vendors. We know how these projects run. We're not starting from scratch. We're not starting from cold. So I always feel like when, micro, when going into the market with the Microsoft automation solutions like Power Automate, we have that that step ahead because we have the deep, deep, deep Microsoft knowledge as well as a ton of experience and the scars to prove it on how this how automation projects should work and the do's and don'ts. So whenever I go and talk to a client, one of the things I always try to remind them, it's like, look guys, I've done this a hundred times. I can show you how all the burn marks that I have from playing with the stove. I, I know where these pain points are. And I think that's something that we try to highlight with our clients is that, look, we want to bring the absolute best knowledge base, the best experience and leverage the knowledge and the lessons learned from our previous, from that experience to you to help make sure we, your implementation goes as smoothly and efficiently as possible. Great. And I think that's always what I think about when I think of a managed service provider or a solutions integrator, where it's the person you're dealing with, whatever they're doing, you know, not how big or small, they've probably done it or maybe once, maybe three times, whereas you've done it or been part of the, you know, hundreds. So, yeah. So that's one of the great things of working with a company like that, just the experience. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, entering the automation space when I did, I've sort of seen everything tried at least once. Um, you know, 20, 2017, I don't even know if UiPath was even in the Canadian market yet. I know Blue Prism was here, but they were still mostly managed out of the U.S. Uh, automation was here, but Automation Anywhere was here in a very small space. I don't, and Microsoft wasn't really even playing this at all. I think at that point it was just Flow, which was sort of a interesting thing people were trying to figure out what to do with. So I've watched this industry grow. I've watched it go from being the, the weird little kid in the corner eating glue to being... A, a proper industry, a proper offering that is uh, that is sort of on the lips of everyone right now, and it's it's very it, it's very topical that you and I are talking today because honestly, automation is the it's the, the treat of the week. Everyone is thinking about this right now. Everyone's talking about it, and in ways that are very different from how we started. You know, the old the the concept of RPA 1.0 and automation of just very, very, like I think back to the very rudimentary, very basic automations that we started with, which <laughs> by all accounts would be like super simple automations for us to do today with the advances of technology. But the headaches we ran into, the the frustrations, the banging our heads in the wall, the staying up till two in the morning to try and figure out something like it was it was great, a great learning opportunity for someone like me to see how all of this was going to develop and be able to to really get my hands dirty right from the get-go. Um, so I, I I absolutely would not change a second for a second of it um, for anything. You know, and I love that you said the, you know, the 1.0, you know, because I was thinking, you know, this conversation that we're having is really, really for like, you know, the 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 two 2.0 users or people that experience RPA. Because if, you know, if you're here and you don't really know what robotic process automation is, then you're probably incredibly confused. So, you know, you know, hopefully, you know, we're definitely aiming for the people that have a basic understanding of this and are really looking to get over those next couple challenges. And I yeah. know one of the challenges that we talk about is you, you put out a lot of names out there. And I think one of the common thing is, which tools should I use? I mean, if you're doing RPA, like you said, Blue Prism was one of the first 
approach to the game. A UI path is one of the most technically advanced right now. You know, automation anywhere is, you know, has one of the first true cloud solutions. Uh, and of course, you know, Microsoft Power Automate, which is kind of a, you know, a, a late player to the automation game, but they're they're here as well now. So and then there's countless other smaller ones yeah. as well. So you know, first thing you're dealing with a company and they say to you, um, they don't want to give me the answer of which one you use, but what do you consider? Like what more information do you want to know to help people find the right tool for them? Um, I think it very it depends on as always, it depends. And it depends on a number of different factors. That's an IT um, yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I, I I did a project for the government and uh, every every time we'd ask a question, they'd go, well, it depends. And I I hate to, to use that gimmick, but I'm going to. Um, there's between some of the stuff that you need to consider, a lot of times it comes down to what are you trying to do and what does your estate look like? In many cases, the price factor is no really, not really a big deal anymore. There are some cost considerations between the vendors that absolutely need to be considered. Um, but is it, it's what do you want to automate and where are you going to find, find that support? Um, if you're working with a vendor like us, we're going to have specific or a, a partner like us, we're going to have certain vendors that we are that we're just going to be stronger with that doesn't necessarily mean that the other tools are any less capable and that doesn't mean that we can't deliver all of the tools uh, one of the things i try to promote within the practice here at avanon is that we will deliver we are completely brand agnostic and we will deliver any of any of the tools i have members of my team who are specific on one two three four it doesn't matter but we try to make sure that we have as even a spread as possible so no matter who the client is we can approach it with the freshest set of eyes and the most open approach possible to make sure that we're delivering the solution that we need to, for the client. Um, I think one of the best ways to sort of understand what tool you want to use, and which tool is going to be best for you, is really going to come down to a discussion with a partner like myself or any of my any of the other firms that do amazing automation work in the market um, or secondarily a lot of times partners or uh, clients sorry will be speaking one-on-one -on -one directly with an rpa vendor themselves um, and a lot of times the vendors will be able to give you that that fresh and clear answer as quickly as possible um, so I'd say, depending on which angle you're coming into this problem at, um, reach out to either a partner like myself or any of, or as I said, any of the other folks in the market, or pick a vendor and just ask some questions or do some research on your own. I, I can tell you, there's no tool in the market today that I would not recommend for someone. It's not as a, there's no tool where I'm like, stay away from them. They are all amazing. They all do fantastic work. And I can I can go through my Rolodex of clients and I have a fairly even spread of all four of the big uh, RPA vendors in the market today. Yeah, you know, it sounds to me like when you mention it, it reminds me of like buying a car because it's, you know. Yeah. 20 years ago, if you if you bought a Hyundai, everyone would laugh at you. You know, like that was a joke on sitcoms and now they're everywhere and everybody has yeah. one of the best, most reliable corporates out there. And there really isn't, um, you really can't go wrong, right? Right? Like, I mean, there's still the jokes about Ford and stuff, but you know, Ford F-150s are one of the most popular cars on the road. So it's you really, you know, when you're buying a car, it's not really like there's like stay away from this brand. And it sounds like it's no. kind of similar with, with an RPA tool. It is, and the other thing I think to consider is don't ever uh, write off a vendor. Um, 
you know, vendors have their days in the sun and they have their days in the shade. And, you know, some of them are going through changes. Blue Prism was recently acquired. Automation Anywhere is rolling out this brand new big platform. UiPath went through their own cost, cost cutting not that long ago. Microsoft has had its own struggles. Just because a vendor has a has a stumble or is trying to figure out what to do next or whatever, doesn't mean that their tool is not valid and is not incredibly strong. Um, I would I would absolutely pay. I can go through, as I said, my list of clients and highlight all of the different tools and sort of the mosaic of of offerings that can be automated with all of these different tools. But you're absolutely right. It is a bit like shopping for a car. It's what's going to serve your needs best. Um, it's a match to be made. Is uh, you know when I went when I was entering university, one of my university counselors rec said to me, "University is a match to be made, not a prize to be won." And uh, I think that's exactly the same approach that I try and take with automation tools. Is it is very much a match to be made and not a prize to be won. And if there's a nice. client out there. You know, to bring you guys in, if there's a client out there who may be settled on a tool and it's not really working for them anymore, it was right for them when they picked it, but it's no longer right. There's a ton of opportunities now to migrate off of those existing tools and onto something that's maybe a little better, be it for cost reasons, be it for new opportunities, be it for whatever. But I think the, the days of being locked into one tool are really starting to dissipate and really starting to go. And we're seeing more and more multi, uh, multi-vendor clients coming into the market as we go through these days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I was at a conference not too long ago where I was with some of your colleagues at Avanade and it was the Microsoft Power Platform Conference. And, yep. you know, you mentioned Avanade does a lot of work with Microsoft. And it's funny because Microsoft, you know, if you think of each of these companies, you know, companies as planting a tree, you know, UiPath and Blue Prism planted theirs first and they're way up there. And it seems like Microsoft is just kind of, they just planted theirs a little bit later, but they do always seem to have that magical Microsoft plant food because it's, it's growing really fast. And it, you know, and it's, I think about that, you know, you right now, money. yeah, you know, they have money, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's the answer, then, then good for them. But uh, I think there's a little bit more than that because I think of, I think, you know, right now we're recording this on Teams and I've, I've yeah. been in the IT space for a while. And I remember Teams was, Microsoft was pitching it as a VoIP solution, you know, get rid of your phone and, yep. and you have well, Teams. Back when it was and, and they were Skype. way behind, right? You know, Zoom was out, Skype, you know, they, they had bought Skype, yep. but the, there was country, companies like Ring Central and these other companies that have been around for a long time that were very well established or companies just doing VoIP. And, and Microsoft, I remember looking at a features list, uh, you know, five years ago for teams uses your phone and it was laughable. Like it was, you couldn't even transfer to another person there. And yep. then they just caught up. And then after, you know, a little bit of help from the pandemic kind of forcing people to have another collaboration tool, you know, that, that was available to them. And it just, it, it took over. And now it's one of the most popular tools. And I, you know, Microsoft kind of has a history of doing that kind of come into the game a little bit late, you know, SharePoint is an example of that, you know, OneDrive, you know, these, they come up with something that's already kind of has an established market and then they they wiggle themselves in and they don't necessarily destroy it for other people but they find a great foothold and they they make money like you said and they and they put a solution out there that people can use and people like so yeah. where do you you know talking about that and kind of your history with microsoft where do you you already think microsoft power automate is going to go in the next three five years um i think microsoft is Again, if I if I had my magic pen and I could do whatever I wanted here, and you know, I I would I would say that Microsoft should and will 
focus much more on those enterprise automations. Right now, their their big play is bundling it with Power Platform as a whole and and highlighting the capability of the platform. They love the bundle. They absolutely do, and they're very good at it. If Microsoft, however, is going to, I think, take over this market in the way that they have in the email space, the desktop application space, the the, the team spaces or VoIP spaces you were pointing out earlier, um, I think they need to solidify the identity of Power Automate more, which is what I expect they're going to do, and continue to figure out how to sort of break the break the mold on how we've done automation in the past a little bit more. Um, Microsoft, I feel, is loves the idea or seems to seems to start liking more and more the idea of shaking things up. They were very conservative for a long time, and I get the sense that they start with that and then they just start blasting into a space much more aggressively. And with Power Automate, for a while they've sort of it feels like they've just sort of been sitting waiting to see how this goes, selling relatively um, simple deals and not pushing the tool as much. I think w eventually what we'll see is the tool will become an absolute beast on a technical front with that, that as you pointed out, that feature list growing. And I mean, look at Teams yeah, now versus yeah. where it was. You know, I remember the days of Link and starting mm -hmm. there. Like, you co I couldn't imagine what we can do now with Teams versus what we where we started with Link. So if we look at that similar trajectory, I'm going. I'm fully imagining that it's Power Automate is going to start bleeding more and more into the uh into the ai space and in introducing tools like document understanding natural language processing and all of it as well as simplifying things for for citizen developers so allowing you to come closer to things like the digital twin concept and having a bot that just sits on your desktop and does things for you watches what you do learns how you do it and will start doing things for you on the back end so may so excuse me, not necessarily bots building bots yet. We may get there, but really taking that concept of a digital assistant or a dig or a, an attended bot that sits on your desktop and turbocharging it so that everyone in a company can get the absolute maximum efficiency out of their day-to-day -day job by simplifying the automation process more and more, but attaching it to an even powerful, even more powerful bot on the back end. Yeah, that that's sort of my where I would expect Microsoft to go. Again, I do not, I am not, I'm not part of their development team, and I do not uh, do not speak for Microsoft. So uh, don't don't quote me on any of that. <laughs> yeah, and and one of the the five people listening to this happened to work for Microsoft. You know, we're <laughs> yeah, we're just just kidding. We're gonna have lots more than that. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's it's interesting to think about too, just because you know, as a if you're a customer or somebody and you're looking at Microsoft, obviously there's some things that make sense. You could say I'm already a Microsoft server environment, and yep. you know I'm already using their apps and their email, so those kind of things make sense. But like you said, lots of other tools can integrate. It's really what you need if you want a full integration thing, then that's great. Um, you know, but you said a word there that I want to ask you about. You said you know citizen developer, and I just. I know we've been told that this is coming. It's like how we were supposed to be like paperless by 1998. Like, you know, remember that? Yeah. And like, and it's, we've been saying that we're going to have these citizen developers and I just don't see it yet. So where do you, I mean, I know there's companies that have done it. Like there are some successful citizen developer enablements, but do you think we're going to get to a point where every company has just, you know, has their receptionist or the guy in the warehouse or somebody that just what can automate their own processes for them? Do you think we'll get there anytime well, soon? I think it, 
you have to look at sort of where technologies have come from and the disruption that the technologies that we use already have have introduced. I mean, I'm I'm sitting at home having this conversation with you who's all, somewhere in the city, but I was on a phone call earlier with everyone across the country, whereas previously we had to fly everyone in. Um, and the idea of even being able to book your own travel. I mean, if you think back a couple of years ago, you had to call a travel agent. You, if you, depending on your level at a company, you may have had an assistant call a travel agent. You booking your own flights would have would have been unheard of. So this idea that people are able to change the way they work is what I'm getting at. And so the the idea of a citizen developer is not going to be, I think, what we think it is today. It's going to be the idea of giving the tools to people so that they can, it's do DIY, do-it-yourself automations. Because um, even think think of the power that you have with Microsoft PowerPoint. PowerPoint started as just originally a blank page and a way for you to put words on it. You could, you know, you could snap a few clip art pictures and a few weird animations and that was that. But today, if you think of the capability that the tool has, you don't almost need a creative department. I don't need, I build decks and I create them and I add snappy graphics and all this stuff. I don't, we used to have a an entire department that did that and did all of the finishing touches on that. I am not, it's almost like citizen developer led yeah. design. That's what we're going to get to. It's going to look at, it's going to get to a point where you don't think of yourself as a developer. You're just using the tools that are in front of you to help make your job easier. So if you have a large report that you need to compile and you're, and let's say you need to wait for these six emails to come in every day to grab the info and pop it into an Excel document and then save that document and then on Friday, bundle it up and send it on its way. You could spend, you know, it'll take you two hours a day or two hours, you know, over the course of a week, even just to compile everything and it's copy and pasting. So, well, actually, you know, why don't I just give it to the bot? Why don't I just give it to Power Automate to do? You set it up once and every week from then on, it'll do its thing. You at that at no point though, will that person feel that they're a developer? They're not going through, there's no design document that they're going to build associated with that. There's no rigorous testing or UAT that they need to do or, you know, in elevating into environments. It's just going to be something that they do on their desktop. It's something that's going to be as natural to them as, uh, as either of us setting up a phone call or setting up an yeah. email. You know, we set this call up. You just clicked add, you know, add meeting, sent it to my email. On the back end, my Teams was able to set the call up. You were able to get the record. All the recording services were ready to go. Previously, to do it, an initiative like this in the past, it would have involved three to four people where now it's just you and I can execute it now. And that's that's not because you and I became citizen development-led production teams or citizen development-led you know, schedulers. It is we give the people the tools that they need to improve their lives. Yeah, and there's some people who are going to be good at it, and there's some who aren't, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what it means is that the people who are good at it are able to build these tools that can help the people who don't necessarily have that natural acumen to do it, to build something like that themselves. And we can provide an opportunity to share that so that the entire group is able to extract more efficiencies and people aren't getting bogged down with those mundane tasks. Mm -hmm. So those people who would be our creative department aren't just sitting around waiting for me to send them another PowerPoint to make look pretty. They can go and focus on much more complex um, graphics and animations and marketing campaigns that don't involve me just my little deck to one of my clients. So I think that's where 
the impact of something like citizen development will really start to change things in the market. And I think that's where we're going to see this split. Microsoft is uniquely poised and they all have all the other vendors have the capability to do citizen development as well. But I think Microsoft in its and how widespread it is and how um, ingrained it is in so many of these different organizations and the comfort that people have in the brand and trust that they have in the Microsoft brand. If you give these tools to people, I think it's going to be a matter of time and they will just start building them and using them. You have to make sure people are comfortable with it. You know, and we talked about RPA 1.0. I remember one of my very first clients, we had a problem because the, the client figured out what we were doing, said, wait, you're going to automate my job. Well, yes, that's what we're here to do. Well, then I'm not going to tell you anything more. You're going to take my job away. So there was this fear, and th and that that's the same thing with tech with almost all technologies. There's a rumor, and I'm fairly sure it's not true, um, but the word sabotage originally came from was theorized to have come from the people who would throw their sabos or their wooden shoes into automated looms to break them so that it wouldn't get rid of them and wouldn't they wouldn't be their jobs wouldn't be automated away. So automation has always, always, always been faced with a and a level of resistance and frustration from people who are nervous about the impact that it could bring that it could get rid of them. And and I think that's something that we need to make sure people understand is not what we're trying to do. And anyone who is trying to use automation as just a way to cut people and eliminate their role you're letting your best assets walk out the door. Automation is a like automation is a very clever tool. Um, you can get the fanciest hammer in the world. You still need someone eventually to swing it. So I think you always have to make sure that you're treating automation just like that as a tool rather than as a as a cure all. Sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there. No, no, it's, you know, because I, I also don't really see it as just automate and, and fire the person. I know that was kind of one of the initial kind of scary things and scary thoughts about it. But, you know, for an example of something, you know, I, the other day we were having a meeting on the marketing team talking about a marketing report. And our director of marketing was walking us through uh, the four tools that she goes from and she uploads them to Excel sheet and showing us all this manual work that she does to get this very useful report. And I and I, I was thinking, I know that somebody could take all this, connect this with Power Automate and have this go into Power BI and a report will be done every single month automatically. I don't know how to do that yet myself. And I don't think I quite have the skills or the tool is quite ready. You know, I, I'm not very, very, I, I call myself, you know, te technical adjacent. You know, I, I, I'm not untechnical, but I'm not. Or are you and me both? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I understand it and I could get close, but I know I couldn't fully do it myself. But it, it's one of those things where, you know, is it necessarily worth like right now to have that done? I'd have to submit an IT ticket and then people would have to find out exactly what we want and get access to these things. And it would be and that's kind of how it happens at big companies, right? You know, this huge process of these design documents and it's made. But I would love it in a way, you know, where we get to that point where a tool like Power Automate is easier for the technical adjacent guy like myself to take that report, hit three buttons or spend an hour on it now. And then it's just done every time because I know it can be done. Like I know somebody yeah. can do it. It's just we're in this world right now where we know it can be done. It's still a little hard for the non-developers. Yeah. 
to do. The tools aren't quite really ready for uh, us technical adjacent folk, and I, I really hope they get there, and I really hope it goes further because it doesn't have to be a scary thing. I would love to see people with office jobs or finance jobs just to be able to say the same way they do with Excel, right, where they create macros and things to just be able to say, I'm going to create a quick little automation here that's going to do this thing, you know, send this report out to the clients end of the month. I'm not going to have to bug the development team. It's just going to be done. And then it, and it works. And and then there's some sort of oversight where a COE or somebody can look at, look at it. So I, I really yeah. hope that's where we get. So I know we're, we're going a little long on time here. I want to ask you one more question. You know, if you could share kind of, you know, you talk to a lot of people about RPA. What's one thing that you think a lot of people don't know about RPA that you think they should know? <laughs> Um, again, as always, it depends. It depends on who I'm talking <laughs> to. But I think one of the things that is is going to be most important is making sure that people understand it's not as scary as you think. Everyone is concerned about the, you know, they've seen iRobot or the movie AI or any of these things, or Skynet. Like, everyone's terrified that, you know, as soon as we give a computer fingers or the ability to do something, it starts to get a little scary. And and there's a concept in robotics of uncanny valley. And when robots start to be able to do things like pass the Turing test, as in there, it's it is hard, if not impossible at times, for a person to not understand if they're speaking to a real person or, or a machine, then that's where we're going to start getting people to get nervous and automation is sort of the first step towards that and ai can do it as well as and i'm sure we've all heard that um google that google system making a phone call to uh to book a dinner reservation and you listen to the you know it's google you know it is a digital assistant talking and you hear it breathing you hear it saying um and thinking and pausing and you know it's all manufactured but it still just seems very odd I think we just need to make sure that people are not afraid of automation and they don't see it as a as something that they, is there to threaten their jobs. Automation, when it is working best, should be able to improve three things. The bottom line, so say, provide savings or generate new revenue, improve client or customer satisfaction, and improve employee satisfaction. You should always be making sure that you're taking your workforce into account when you're doing automation and understand the impact of what those automations could and will do. Because the only way that an automation program continues to work and work well is with the buy-in of the, of the boots on the ground and the folks on the front line who are actually doing the process themselves. Because otherwise, if you don't have their buy-in, it doesn't matter how great my robot is, it's not going to work with them. And it's not going to, and you're not going to be able to service the rest of those those other two pillars of your bottom line and your customers. So I think, don't be afraid of it, and make sure you consider the employee the employee element of the the process of automation. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, you know, it was great having you on. And you know, once this podcast takes off and we're eventually sponsored by HelloFresh, we'll be sure to have you on. <laughs> Well, I'll I hope to get some HelloFresh or, or a, out there. Huh? Yeah, I was gonna say I'd love some uh, some free dinner dinner boxes or uh, or a Casper mattress. <laughs> I mean, there another one. If uh, just in case, you know, I'm always down for those too. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you just start doing them if they'll send you checks, right? If you just yeah, start you know what? Let's just yeah. That's how that's how commercials work, isn't it? Use the promo code mm. RPA for your <laughs> for ten percent off at checkout. <laughs> Yeah. Well, on that note, again, it was great talking to you. Uh, you know, hopefully you, this Matthew. was 
this was uh, some good information for everybody out there, and uh, feel free to tune in again. We'll be doing more of this with some other people, and, and hopefully Jeremy again down the road. So thanks, Jeremy. Enjoy the rest Looking of your day. Forward to it. Thank you so much, Matthew. Talk to you soon. Bye.